1 Kings chapter 3. If you're there, I would like you to read aloud at home. Stand if you would at home, and if you read aloud with us at home the Scriptures. 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to read verse 16 to the end of the chapter. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. And there was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. Literally, she, was she had just given birth to the baby. She was so tired, she rolled over on top of the baby and unfortunately smothered it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and she laid her dead child into my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then, the king, then said the king, the one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two. Give half to the one, half to the other. Then spake the woman, whose the living child was, unto the king. Would you notice this phrase? And if you had never underlined it, underline it this morning. For her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, give her, that is the first mother, the real mother, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do the judgment." Remarkable story there. Who do you believe? One said it's her child, the other said it's her child. Which one would Solomon believe? When everything had been said and done, he proved, or actually the mother proved, that she was the real mother. 
I want to preach you morning, this morning a message right out of that phrase in verse 27. She's the mother thereof, or she is the real mother. Father, thank you this morning that we can celebrate Mother's Day. Lord, I feel so sad that we cannot celebrate it here in the church facilities with the hundreds of mothers that we have in our church. God, my mind goes back to the, the first year of our church. I, I'm not even sure we had one handful of mothers on Mother's Day. In terms of the original founders. But Lord, you've grown the tribe here at Heritage Baptist Church. Thank you for mothers that have been saved in our ministry. Mothers and families that you brought this way. Mothers growing in the faith. And for some of us, we've had mothers that have gone home to be with the Lord. I pray that you'd make this service, as every year, memorable, encouraging, invigorating, stirring. Probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest, responsibility in all the world is being a mother. From conception, through maternity, through travail, through the raising of the children, to see them make decisions, good or bad, marriage, birth, grandmothering, all of these things, Lord. And we've got mothers here today who have been privileged to see multi-generations. May you bless that, Lord, that they'd see even more. Lord, we're not sure how much time we have here as a church, as a people of God, before Jesus comes. But I know one thing, Lord, you want us to redeem the time because the days indeed are evil. I pray from heaven's portals today, I want you to do more, Lord, than speak to us. God, I pray that you help us to see ourselves in the mirror of your word and not forget what manner of man we were before we saw ourselves. I pray that, Lord, that like Mary felt, the swords going through her soul, that, Lord, we'd feel that. I pray that we would experience what Jesus said, now you're sanctified through my word. And I pray that the truth of God's word would sanctify and cleanse we pray this morning that the Word of God would be honey to our palate, sweetness to our soul. And we know your Word is perfect, and your statutes are right. Your commandments are pure, enlightening the eyes. Lord, we pray that today that you do a wonderful work in each of our lives. I pray for those who are watching this morning who are not absolutely certain about where they'll spend eternity. This could be the greatest Mother's Day they've ever had by placing their faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. Lord, would you help encourage mothers? Would you help remind mothers that in spite of what the world says, it's a very rewarding work. They may feel unrewarded, but according to the Bible, it's a rewarding work. And I pray for some, perhaps, who are like the Bible says in Psalm 113, perhaps they're struggling with barrenness, and God, they need you to touch their womb so they can bear children. Please do so. Bless our service this morning. We give you praise and glory for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
All across the world, we honor and acknowledge mothers. I was sharing with some of the men here, our live stream team, and our, some of our staff here today, that uh, I got a, a message last night from a missionary sent out of our church in a foreign country, and uh, they had their very first Mother's Day. And I was kind of counseling, coaching him this last several days on what to do and who to have and all these things. And I was so thankful to get a picture from our missionary of many mothers and families that came to this new, this new church. It's a baby church. And to see that picture of all those mothers there celebrating in a foreign country. We honor mothers today and grandmothers. We tip our hat to you. We thank God for you. We praise the Lord for you. We thank the Lord that you went through the valley of the shadow of death and bringing forth children. One man said, Mom was the glue that literally held our family together. George Washington, the first, the first president of the United States of America, and a great Christian patriot, said this, My mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All that I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. Immanuel Kent said, I shall never forget my mother, for it was she who planted and nurtured the first seeds of good within me. She opened my heart to the lasting impressions of nature. She awakened my understanding and extended my horizon. And her precepts exerted an everlasting influence upon the course of my life. Thomas Edison, who was a great inventor, said this, My mother was the making of me. She was so true and so sure of me, I felt that I had someone to live for, someone I must not disappoint. The memory of my mother will always be a blessing to me. And I think as we think about some of these quotations. I think our hearts echo the same sentiments. I think for many of us, if not all of us, all that we have, humanly speaking, we owe to our mothers. I think there are many Christian young men and Christian men and ladies today that owe their salvation experience to a burdened mother who wept over their soul and prayed for them and rejoiced greatly when their child trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. I'm thankful for mothers. Today, we look in our passage of Scripture, and we see a story here, a true story that happened about two mothers, two mothers who had similarities. They were single mothers with newborns. They were two mothers that were sinners. The Bible hides nothing from the fact of their, of their, of their occupation and what they did. I'm not sure if they did it because they, they, they felt like they wanted to indulge in sin. I'm sure perhaps they chose this profession of life, of being harlots, because they, they probably needed to make a living. And so they were sinners living as such, and they were known as such, and they had a reputation as such. You read over in Proverbs chapter 6 and 7, and they would fall into the category of what Solomon describes as strange women. And perhaps even these two women, uh, perhaps may have been probably the, the seed thoughts that, that, that God gave to, to, uh, to uh, Solomon when he wrote Proverbs 6 and 7. But they were women who lived immoral lives. They were probably ashamed of it as they stood before Solomon here. They had similarities. They were sinners. But we see these two women at strife. These two women shared the same profession of life. These two women became pregnant out of wedlock. And they're living in the same home. They happened to conceive right about the same time. One gave birth on one particular day. And in spite of her, her life lifestyle and all that. There was a joy that came to her because she brought forth a man's son, a man-child. She brought forth a child into the world, which was a son. And so great was her rejoicing that she held that baby nurse near to her. She was like what Paul spoke about, a nursing mother who cherishes her baby child. And then three days later, the other lady gave birth to her child, which happened to be a son as well there too. And both were rejoicing women, except for one fact. 
This second mother, on that same evening as she gave birth, somehow along the way, being exhausted from going through the travail of childbirth, somehow along the way, she turned over and not, and not realizing, being so tired and weary, she actually she felt she just overlaid her, her child, as the Bible says, and smothered her child. And then she realized that her, her baby was dead. And in doing so, she got up in the middle of the night. The Bible says at midnight, she realized that her baby was dead. And we're not sure all that transpired in her mind, but she went to the other mother and she switched babies. She literally took the other lady's baby. You might say she even kidnapped that baby. She stole that baby and made that baby hers and took the dead child and put the dead baby with the other mother, the first mother. And so the first mother wakes up in the morning and she wants to feed her child, but she realizes something's not right. There's no breathing from the child. The child has gone cold. The child is not warm. And she realized there's no response from her child. And she started to check. And she said, this baby's dead. This is... And then she looked even further and she smelled the baby, looked at the baby. She said, this is not my child. And she died on her as the other woman held a child that was breathing and crying. She recognized the sounds of that baby. She said, that's my baby over there. These two women are at strife. And the first mother, the real mother, realized she could not resolve this issue at home. She brought it to the highest court of the land in Israel. When we read this passage of Scripture, we see something about the wisdom of Solomon, and that's good. In fact, verse 28 commends the wisdom that God gave him. The Bible says, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. That's good to commend the wisdom of Solomon. But we see a principle here in this passage where this, the real mother, in verse 26... A description is given to her that perhaps became the sea thought that the Apostle Paul would use this very similar phrase in the New Testament epistles. As Solomon said, divide the child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The Bible says that her bowels, her insights, her emotion, her soul. The Bible says her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, and I'm going to paraphrase this, I'd rather let the other woman have my son than for my son to die. And Solomon, through the process demonstrated to everyone watching that she was the mother thereof. I want you to see this morning a real mother. The driver within a real mother. What a biblical mother does. And while this message is going to help us to see the traits and characteristics of a mother, it is also very strong and encouraging Bible instruction for us. Because what we see about this woman, this mother, we can apply those characteristics for practical Christian living today. And I want you to notice four things this morning. Number one, I want you to see a mother and her passion. The Bible says her bowels yearned upon her for her son. 
What joy this mother had when she gave birth to this child. For nine months, she experienced that child growing inside of her. In the midst of that child growing inside of her, thoughts went beyond her life to the future of that child. And whatever selfishness that mother may have had before she conceived, it now was focusing not just on her life, but on the life of this boy. What a joy it was on the day that she gave birth to this son and brought him into the world and she snuggled him close to her and the bonding between mother and son and son and mother. What a wonderful thing that was at that time. But This real mother was victimized. Her baby was stolen from her. Her baby was taken and she realized the other woman wouldn't give back her son. And this woman determined in all of her heart that she would put up a fight. And she realized that on that day she was not going to let anyone or anything take her son from her. We see a woman who is mother, who is consumed with passion. The Bible says her bowels yearned upon her son. Passion is an overwhelming desire or feeling. A drive about someone or something. Passion is a strong desire you have about someone or something. Passion is a powerful or compelling emotional feeling that lives inside of us. Passion is a fire. Passion is a focus. Passion is a finish. Passion is something a person gives all of themselves to. Passion is someone or something that you think about all the time. Passion is what consumes you to do what you do. Passion which compels a person to get up early, to stay up late at night, to do whatever it takes to get a project done. Passion is what fills you to get something accomplished and done. Passion is something that drives you to start, to keep working, to accept the setbacks and keep on going, and to go on until you finish what you're doing. Passion is something you would fight to the death for. Passion is the fuel that drives a person to accomplishment. Passion is not limited by, it does not have any limitations. It's not limited by time. It's not limited by skill. It's not limited by labor. Listen, when you have passion, you decide inside your heart. It doesn't matter what I know. It doesn't matter how much time it takes. I'm going to learn what I need to learn to get it done. I don't care how hard it takes, how much work I've got to do. I'm going to do what it takes to get it done. Passion has no labor limit. Passion has no skill limit. Passion says, I can and I will. Passion never says, I cannot. Passion never says, I quit. Passion says, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it. Passion is looking at that situation saying, it can be done and it will be done. Passion is what an Olympian, Olympic athlete has in accomplishing his tasks and winning the race. Passion is the difference between first place and second place. Passion is the difference between a superstar and someone who just competes to be a player. Passion is the difference between the owner of a company and the employee of a company. Passion is that drive that fills a woman that might only be 4 feet 10 inches tall and 90 pounds of weight, but seeing her child trapped under a car with superhuman strength lifts up that car to free her child. Passion is what Jonas sought to find a cure for polio. People with passion die for what they believe in. People with passion stay with what they're passionate about until it's completed. People with passion establish churches and change people's lives. Paul was driven by passion to preach the gospel. Paul was driven by a passion in spite of persecution, in spite of multiple setbacks, in spite of the fact that he became on, he got onto the wanted list of people who hated him. He continued to start churches. Passion is what drove Paul to be one of the greatest Christians that has ever lived. May I remind you this morning, passion is what drove our Lord Jesus Christ to come from earth and become a man to die for your sins and mine. 
We see a young mother, a newborn, passionate about getting her son back. She did not give up without a fight. She was determined to get her son back. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you passionate about? Who are you passionate about? The story is told of a, a famous English actor by the name of McCready. And McCready was known for his eloquence and oratorical skills. There on the English stage, he drew crowds by the numbers. People that would come and to watch this man as he went through fictional plays. A preacher in that town was a student of God's word, but had a church that was very small. A preacher that was struggling and just trying to build his church and trying to just accomplish the work that God had called him to. Decided one day to pay the fare and to see what this man McCready was all about. The preacher could only afford a ticket to sit way in the back there, literally up at the top of the nosebleed section of the balcony. He watched as the crowds streamed in. He watched McCready as he acted on the stage, and he listened as the crowds got up and applauded McCready. He watched as they gave him standing ovations and accolades. The preacher waited until most of the crowds had gone away, and he walked down and walked up all the way to the stage, and he asked one of the people there on the stage, he says, is there any way you can ask Mr. McCready if I could have a word with him? The man had recognized this was a preacher, a Baptist preacher in the town, and he said, sir, he's a very busy man. He said, could you tell him there's a preacher here? I'd like to talk to him for a minute. Just tell him I just want a couple seconds of his time. That man on the stage said, sure, I'll get him for you. He went to the back there. Mr. McCready, of course, was undressing and getting out of his, his play-acting clothes and getting into his normal street clothes, and he heard about that, and he said, you know, I'm so busy, but he thought, you know, the preacher took time to wait for me. I'll come down and see him. McCready came out, and you could tell by the expression on his face, he was a little bit rushed and really didn't want to spend a lot of time with the preacher. In fact, if anything, he was afraid that the preacher was going to preach him and tell him, how, tell him about religion or tell him about, about the Bible and so forth. And he said, sir, what can I do for you? And the preacher said, listen, I just want to take a couple minutes of your time. I want to ask you something. He said, well, what can I do for you, preacher? Is there anything I can do for you? He said, yes, sir, I have a question for you. He said, I'm a preacher of God's word. I'm a student of God's word. I believe that the Bible is God's word. I believe that every, every word of the Bible is pure and true. I, I teach that, that the, the uh, truths that are timeless and unchangeable. Truths that I know that can change people's lives, but I have such a difficult time just drawing a crowd. And here I came tonight and I watch you as you perform on this English stage as you do week after week and night after night. I watch you perform and I watch the crowds as they streamed in, standing only crowds. And I watch as they get stood up and gave you standing ovations and applauded you for all you did. He said, Mr. McCready, what's the difference between you and me? How is it that you can draw the crowds? How is it that you can get the compliments? How is it that people can be on board with you? And here I am preaching and teaching the timeless truths of the Word of God, and I could barely draw a crowd. McCready had a grin on his face. He said, I'll tell you the difference between you and me, Mr. Preacher. He said, you see, I stand up, and I present my fiction as if it was truth. And sir, you get up, and you present your truth as if it's fiction. And I remind you this morning, passion differentiates fiction from truth. 
Passion is what drives you to get something done that would not otherwise get done. Passion is what drives a mother to commit her life to raising her children. Passion is what drives a woman to decide she's going she's gonna, to she's gonna shift from being an immature young woman to being a mature lady who will multitask and being a keeper at home and being a loving wife of her husband, Titus chapter 2, and not giving over to gossip and things of that nature, but living for God and raising her children and the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. Passion is what drives a woman to be a Proverbs 31 woman who rises up at night while her household is sleeping and she makes food at night and she sews her clothing and she's plotting and thinking ahead. She's a forecaster. She's a planner. She's thinking ahead about all the things for her family. May I remind you this morning from many of us, you take for granted what your mother has done for you. You take for granted your mother went through the valley for you. You take for granted that your mother's passion is why you're in church. You take for granted that it was your mother's passion that drove her to her knees to pray for you. You've taken for granted when your mother has gotten up in the morning, she's prepared all these meals, she's cooked for you, she's cleaned the house, she's done all these things, she's gone and picked up the kids, and she helps them through their homework, and there's that one child that struggles through homework, she stays up even if, it's, if it take, takes her to stay up to 3 o'clock in the morning and gets right back up at 6 o'clock in the morning to get the kids out the house. She's driven by passion. She's driven by passion. A woman's work is incredible work. To raise her children. To love her husband. To put up with her husband. I'm going to tell you today, there's no husband that understands all that his wife goes through. There's passion. There's passion. I wonder this morning as we think about the application of passion, are you passionate about God? Are you passionate about God's word? Are you passionate about our church reassembling? Amen. Are you passionate when our church does reassemble? You're going to not take your church for granted? Are you passionate for reaching souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you passionate about your children serving the Lord? Are you passionate about the appearing and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks about the fact we should look for his appearing, but not only look for his appearing, but as Paul said, we should love his appearing. We see a mother and her passion. Secondly, would you notice something else this morning? We see a mother and her passion. Would you notice in verses 22 to 26, we see a mother and her persuasion. This mother had her child taken and she was persuaded to get her baby son back. She had what I alluded to earlier, a fire. A fire. Van Gogh, the famous painter, said, if I didn't have passion for what I do, I would die of boredom. This woman was persuaded read the story of a, a young man that was become very good in playing the violin. And he was vacillating his mind as a 21-year-old young man, should I give my life in being a, an accomplished violinist and thrilling the hearts of people who would come to 
violin concerts to hear me? Or should I change my occupation? And literally this young man was tormented in his thoughts about this. And one day while walking the great streets of his city, he happened across what he, who he knew was perhaps one of the greatest violin masters of his time. He thought, man, this, this is not a chance meeting. And he went to the violinist, that violin master who was not dressed very well. He was just kind of doing his thing there. And he said, sir, you're the greatest violin master of all time. You're the greatest teacher of all time. He said, I need some counsel for you. I want to know whether or not you can tell me whether or not I should give my life to playing the, the violin for the rest of my life. If I should make that my main occupation, what I do, or if I should quit. Do you mind if I played something for you, sir? The master teacher said, sure, you can play something for me. So just play ahead. I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm not going to bother you or anything like that. The young violinist who carried his violin everywhere he went, he got his violin out of the case and took the bow out. He got everything tuned up and he nestled the violin under his chin and he started to play. And man, he started playing some music. I mean, it, he, man, he made that thing come alive. And he put himself all into that, the playing of that violin and beads of sweat and perspiration were forming on his head and dripping down his face. But he played to his heart's delight. He gave everything he had and he played and he got it up to a crescendo. And when he was done, he finished and he bowed and looked at the master. He bowed at the master when he was done and he looked at the master and he said, what do you think? The master shook his head like this. He said, son, you lack fire. That young violinist when he heard that, you lack fire, was devastated in his heart and mind. He didn't say anything back to the master violinist because he knew he had to just trust what that man had to say. That's all he said. He said, you lack fire. He took his violin, put it back in the case, and put the bow back in the case and closed it up, and he walked back to his home. He said, I guess what he's telling me is I need to pursue something else. And this young violinist went back to school and he started taking some business classes and as, as fate would have it for him and things, he wound up going into business and did ex extremely well. Extremely well. At a young age, even at the age of 30, he'd become very, very financially successful. He poured his life, he poured his effort, everything he did in becoming a successful businessman. Several years had passed by and he walked the streets of another city one day while he was there on a business trip and lo and behold, the same master he'd saw Many years before, he saw him there in those streets. He said, sir, do you remember me? I don't know if you remember me. Sir, you're the, you're the master violin teacher. You're the, you're the one that everyone goes to for help. I don't know if you remember, but years ago, I met you in such and such street in such and such place, and I played for you. And, I, and he says, you told me that, that, I, I, did, that, that I, I lacked fire there. And I have to tell you, I, because of that, I decided not to be a, a violinist with my life. And I went into business and pursued business and have become very, very successful. And he said, I attribute all that I am to what you're doing there. He said, sir, I attribute to the fact that, you, that I became successful in business because you told me that, uh, that I should not be in this, this occupation. But he said, I have a question for you. <coughs> how did you know, how did you know all those years back that I lacked fire? Once again, the great teacher shook his head. He said, son, you don't understand I tell everyone I meet, they lack fire. He says, son, if you had the fire, you wouldn't have listened. 
And I remind you this morning as we look at this woman, she had such a fire, such a persuasion in her, she decided that she wasn't going to take no as an answer. She decided that she was not going to be dissuaded from pursuing her son. She made a moment, a decision at time that she was going to appeal to the highest court of the land to get her son back. Notice some things we read about this woman's persuasion, if you would, please. The Bible says... Verse 20, excuse me, 22. Excuse 21, excuse me. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. And when I had considered in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, the dead is thy son. And she said, No, but the dead is thy son, the living is my son. They spoke before the, before the king. And you'll notice here as we go back for a minute, we notice here in verse, verse 20 that the, the second mother took the real mother's child from her. May I remind you this morning, the first mother had her baby stolen from her. And I want to tell you this morning that if God has given you passion for him, and God has given you a passion for your marriage, and I pray that you have one, and if God has given you passion for your children, and I pray that you have one, may I remind you this morning, there are people and there are forces in this world that want to steal your passion from you. Be careful of the thieves in this world that want to steal your passion, that want to take away your joy, that want to steal your happiness, that want to steal away your faith. I want to tell you this morning that if you're a newborn believer, if you're a new believer in Jesus Christ, the devil wants to steal your joy, and the devil wants to take from you that happiness that was embedded in you the moment you received Jesus Christ, your Savior. I want to tell you this morning that if you're reading the Word of God and enjoying and eating it up, the devil wants to come and steal away from you the precious seed that God has embedded into your heart. This mother, this first mother thought that the second mother was her best friend. I want to remind you this morning, be careful of your friends because sometimes it might even be your best friends that want to steal your joy from you. It might even be your best friend that might steal your passion from you there. Be careful of those who want to steal your passion. And then notice something else here. We see something else that happened to this woman. When Solomon said, bring a sword... And he made the proclamation, divide the living child in two and give half to the one after the other. The woman, the woman who was not the real mother in verse 27, she said, she said uh, she's, uh, excuse me, verse 26, she said, oh, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Hey, I remind you this morning, there's some people, there's some things in life and some people in life that want to steal your passion. But I remind you this morning, there's some people in life and some things in life that want to kill your passion. That other mother cared, cared very little about that first son, because that real mother's son, because she did not give birth to that son. She, was, she lost her passion when her baby died, and she just said, you know what, I want, a I want a living baby, not a dead baby. And so she said to Solomon, that's fine, divide it in half, and let give her half and give me half. She didn't care about the other child dying. May I remind you this morning, there are forces in this world that want to kill your passion and kill your joy. I remember getting saved. I remember I remember the joy that Jesus put in my heart about living for him. And I remember the very first time that I gave out a gospel tract. And I remember the very first time that I saw a good friend of mine in ninth grade trust Jesus Christ as Savior. I want to tell you this morning that every single day, 
as I start my day, and every single week as I go through my week, I'm praying for souls to be saved, and I'm praying for God to use me in people's lives. But I'm going to tell you, things happen during the way, and things happen during life that want to steal your joy, or kill your joy, or kill your passion. It might be someone who wants to be argumentative. It might be someone who doesn't agree with the vision. It might be someone that comes along the way and says, ah, oh, you're not very good at what you do, and they throw cold water on burning coals. I remind you this morning, there are some things in life that want to kill your passion, but you go on like this woman. Be persuaded like this mother that it will be neither, that you're not going to give up the fight and you're going to keep on going and you're going to keep on doing what's right for that, for that passion. May I remind you this morning, people who lack passion walk away from the important things in life. People who lack passion enjoy the labors of others and make little contribution. People who lack passion uh, look for fairness instead of fruition. People who lack passion are more concerned about a position than they are in living a principle. People who lack passion will not stay until the end. People who lack passion want the blessing, but they don't want the burdens. People who lack passion, they want the trophies, but they don't want the trials. People who lack passion want the acknowledgement without the afflictions. People with no passion, they don't care. They're indifferent. They're apathetic. Listen to me today. People without passion let things die. People with no passion take less than the best. People with no passion have nothing they believe in enough to die for. But the mother of this, the real mother, she fought to get her son back. She was persuaded. She was persuaded to put up a fight. She was persuaded to do whatever it takes to get her son back. We see a mother in her passion. We see a mother in her persuasion. Notice thirdly, we see a mother in her prayer. What do you do? Someone's taking your passion from you. And this mother tried to civilly get her child back from the second mother. And she realized... It wasn't going to happen. And so she appealed to Solomon. She went to the king. In those days, the king presided over civil matters of law. People would line up and stand in line to present their case before the king. You'll notice here, the Bible says in verse 16, Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king. Now first of all, I want you to notice this morning, this woman's appeal to the king is a wonderful and beautiful picture of prayer that we offer to God. First of all, I want you to notice that the king gave that first mother an audience. He knew her background he knew her occupation. She knew her, he knew her sinful lifestyle. She knew, he knew that she bore this child out of wedlock. And he could have been biased. 
He could have been been discriminatory, and he could have told this woman, I don't want to hear your problem. You're just a scum of the earth. Why should I listen to you? But he gave her an audience. Hey, can I tell you this morning that before you get saved, the throne of God is a throne of justice. God has presided justice over every sinner. But when you get saved, when Jesus comes into your life, and your sins are forgiven, and you become a child of God, as we spoke about this, as we sang about this morning, something changes. That throne is no longer a throne of justice, because you know why? Your sin were paid in full on the cross when Jesus died for you. Justice was accomplished for you and paid in full when you accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, because he died for your sins. But that throne which God sits on is no longer a throne of justice. Praise the Lord. It's a throne of grace. And this king gave this woman an audience. He allowed her to approach her throne. He allowed her to come to him with all of her heart's cares. He allowed her to come to him with all of her heart's burdens. Let me tell you this morning, she didn't have a lawyer to represent her and she lacked articulation skills, and she didn't have the ability to know what the law says about this and the law says about that. She just knew one thing. An injustice had happened to her. Her son had been stolen, and she wanted to get her son back, and the only person she could go to that could help her would be this king. I remind you this morning in the Hebrews 4.16, the Bible gives to every Christian a wonderful promise. It tells us, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I remind you this morning, when you need help, when you need God, God is always there for you. God is there for you in the morning, and God is there for you in the evening, and God is there for you in the afternoons, and God is there for you at the midnight hour, and God is there for you at the lunchtime hour. God is there for you if it's a little burden, it's a big burden. May I remind you this morning, don't be like most people. You exhaust yourself out. You put yourself out. You've given everything you can to try to solve it yourself, and then you come to God. May I remind you this morning to remember that what a friend we have in Jesus. We can bring all our cares and burdens to him, and he can help you through your need. May I remind you this morning, as a Christian, whether a new Christian or seasoned Christian, we can come boldly before that throne of grace and find help in time of need. This king gave her an audience, but notice secondly, this mother helped substantiate she was the real mother by her prayers, by her appeal. You know, when you study this woman and her appeal before the king, there was a little bit more urgency about her request than the second mother's defense. You see, people who are passionate pray earnestly about what they're passionate for. In our audience tonight, this morning, looking on our viewing audience, I'm talking to some wonderful people, some wonderful Christians. You have an unsaved mother, an unsaved father. You have an unsaved brother or sister. If you're passionate about their salvation, you'll pray earnestly for them. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It says Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed that it would not rain. It rained not for the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heavens brought forth its rain. And the earth brought forth its fruit in abundance. People who have passion pray earnestly about what they're passionate for. People who are passionate lay out their plans and situation in full detail for the king to see and to hear. I'm reminded this morning of a wonderful passage. It's over in Luke chapter 18. About a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. He sat on the wayside as he did every day, begging for alms. He could not see. And what he could not see, he made up for for what he heard. 
And he heard one day a noise of people, and he asked some of the people about him, what's going on? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth passes by. And listen, this man had listened. He heard enough about Jesus. you got to remember this man is on the road to Jericho. He had heard enough about Jesus that he already believed in his heart that Jesus was David's son. And he already knew that Jesus was the son of God. And he already knew that Jesus was the rightful Messiah. But he also knew that Jesus was God, who is the only one that could help his situation. And he thought, you know what? This might be the only time Jesus is passing by this way. And this might be the only time I'll ever get to cry out to him. And I wonder as Bartimaeus started crying out, he said, Jesus, Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. I wonder how many other blind men along the way just kind of laughed and scorned Bartimaeus for crying out. But I'm thankful that day that Bartimaeus cried out. He knew that he had an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Bartimaeus, he cried out, Jesus, stop. And he took time to hear this man. And he took time to work in that man's life. And he touched that man's eyes so that man was able to see. I'm reminded this morning, that man was passionate about getting his sight back. And he knew that the only person that could help him get his sight back was Jesus Christ. This mother was passionate in her appeal. She said, I've only got one chance to talk to the king about my son. You know, when you come to God in prayer, you don't play games with God. You come to God in prayer, you don't talk all kinds of things that make mumbo jumbo nonsense. You come to God directly. You come to God with your appeal. You come to God with your heart. You come to God in faith because you must have faith and believe that he's God. John Bunyan said, when thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy heart without words, than thy words without heart. We see a mother in her passion. We see a mother in her persuasion. We see a mother in her prayers as we close this morning. Would you notice this final thought? We see this mother was proven. Her testimony demonstrated she was the real mother. Solomon said, okay, one says it's the living, this child is hers. The other one said it's hers. And everyone around the court is thinking, whoa, man, the king has got a tough one to decide here. What's he going to do? Who is going to give proof that she's the real mother? He said, bring me a sword. And he said in verse 25, divide the living child in two. Give half to the one, half to the other. You divide that child in two, that means the child's going to die. And the Bible wanted us to see in verse 26. Then spake the woman, whose the living child was, unto the king. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child. In no wise slay it. Her bowels yearned upon her son. She was passionate about that baby son, which was only a few days old. Her passion said she would fight to the end. She loved him so much, she wanted him to live. She loved him so much, she was willing to give up in order to gain. 
Real mothers are passionate about their children. Even if their children go astray, even if their children break their heart, even if their children disappoint them time and time again, a real mother's persuaded. A real mother proves that she will be there for the child no matter what. Real mothers are passionate about their children's future, about their children's decisions, about who their children will marry, about where their children will live, or what kind of friends that they have, or where their spiritual life is at. In many ways, I think, I think a mother perhaps is, a, is perhaps is probably stronger than even the father in being passionate about the life of her children. Listen to what Proverbs 31 says. It says, of a passionate wife, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Listen to what it says about a passionate mother in Proverbs 31. She rises while it is night. Her candle goeth not out by night. She feareth the Lord. Her bowels you're into Potter. Give her the son, king. And the king said, Give her the living child. She is the mother thereof. Harry Winston was the founder of a very famous diamond company. It's international, global in scope. Harry Winston was one of the great diamond experts of his day. And he heard about a Dutchman, a Dutch diamond collector, that was looking for a rare, specific type of diamond. Mr. Winston, in his New York location, heard about this because in those circles, it was a very close-knit circle. And other diamond collectors did not have that rare specific diamond this Dutch dealer was looking this Dutch dealer was looking for, but Harry Winston did. And Harry Winston reached out to this man and invited him to come to his New York office and says, Why don't you fly over and come be, come see us and I'll show you the diamond. I believe I have what you're looking for. The man, the day came, they set the appointment, the man came, and Harry Winston stood at the door to greet this man with all the congeniality that you should give to that man. He came to him as a gentleman. He said, I'm so thankful that you made the long trip here from Europe over here. He said, I want you to come here to my back room. I've prepared a conference room table just for you. I have some refreshments here. We've got the diamond that you're looking for laid out. But he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my best employee, who's perhaps one of the best diamond experts in the world, I'm going to have him explain all the characteristics and features to you. I'm going to let him do the presentation. And I'll just stand here on the side as he presents it to you. Well, after all the introduction had been made, the diamond dealer sat down. The Dutch diamond dealer sat down. And then the employee sat next to him. And this employee took that diamond. And he started to describe the characteristics and everything about the diamond. It was if you would kind of like, like going to the doctor's appointment. The doctor being very clinical about what you have and not really caring about who you are. Three minutes had not gone by. The Dutch diamond collector got him, pushed the table away from him, moved his chair back. He took his briefcase, stuffed his papers inside, and he was about to walk out. Mr. Winston saw what was going on, and immediately Mr. Winston walked in. Wait a minute, sir, wait a minute. He said, I don't think you have what I want. He said, wait a minute. He asked the employee if he would move over to the other side. He said, would you, sir, would you go over to the other room? Let me sit down with this, this diamond collector. And he sat down with him. He said, please have a seat, sir. 
And Mr. Winston, the way that only he could, he took the diamond out and he started describing this diamond. But he described it differently. He wasn't giving the man an education. He just expressed just a, 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 a if you wouldn't, uh, 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 just a, a thought, a feeling about that diamond that as if it was his own diamond. And within a few minutes, what looked like a deal that was going to blow up, this man was signing papers to buy that very expensive, rare diamond from Harry Winston. After the papers were signed and the man signed a check, he said, Mr. Winston, I've got a question for you. First of all, I want to thank you for reaching out to me and telling me about this, that you had this diamond I was looking for. And it's exactly what I was looking for. But he said, Mr. Winston, you had your best employee here. He spoke with me and told me about the details of this diamond. And I was about to walk out on him and on you. And then you came and sat down. And you told me about the diamond, but the way you told me about the diamond compelled me that I wanted to purchase this diamond. He said, what's the difference, Mr. Winston? And Mr. Winston said this. He said, sir, that employee, that salesman, is one of the best there is in this business. He knows more about diamonds than I know. And I pay that man very well for his expertise, for his knowledge about diamonds. But I would pay that man twice as much, three times as much, if he had, if, he could put, if I could put into him something I have which he lacked. He said, sir, you see, this man knows diamonds, but I love diamonds. And may I close this morning saying this to you. You may know Jesus Christ, but do you love Jesus Christ? You may know your husband, but do you love your husband? You may know your wife, but do you love your wife? You may know your parents, but do you love your parents? You may know your mother, but do you love your mother? Hey, this morning, it's one thing to know. It's another thing to love. This woman, her bowels yearned upon her for her son. And I remind you this morning, God's love yearned for you and me when he sent his son Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago to come to earth to die for our sins. When I think about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, God had so much passion for you and me. He sent his only begotten son. He sent his one and only the only one who was sinless, the only one who could be the Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the world. And Jesus was God's love poured out on the cross and shedding his blood for you and me. He yearned upon you so that you could become the Son of God. You could be one of God's children that you can enter to the family of God so that by faith, by faith alone, you can receive Jesus and be saved today. You see, when I think about God's love, God's love calls upon us.
to believe that Christ died for our sins and rose him from the dead. God's love reaches out to us and says out of passion, repent of your sins and have faith towards me and I will save you from your sins. I wanted this morning on this Mother's Day, if you can sense the love of God speaking to you and extending its reach to you so that you can call upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior.